and welcome to another episode of the Bucket List Gamers podcast. I am, as usual, Eddie, and I am once again joined by my co-host, Jay. Hello. And today we are looking at a double bill of stealth games. So we've got Metal Gear Solid from 1998 on the PS1, and that is number 15 in the list. And we have Metal Gear Solid 3 from, from 2004 on the PS2, and it is number 97 in the list. I'm not actually quite sure how to approach this, because if we do them chronologically when they were released, that's fair, but then that means that they're not in list order. And also, the chronology of Metal Gear itself is a bit batshit, to say the least. I mean, does it matter? Does it really matter? Because, (laughs) spoilers for the episode, I'm not going to have a look. I I don't hate Metal Gear games, but I don't love them. Like Some people absolutely idolise them, don't they? And I just... I've, I've, I had one and two. I didn't really bother with three, and I enjoyed two quite a lot. One was okay for the time. I remember I didn't actually own it, but one of my friends did, and he was obsessed with it, so he played it a lot. And yeah, I didn't hate it, but it's just one of those that I, I, I wouldn't... If somebody said, oh, your top 20 favourite games, Metal Gear's unlikely to get in there. I, there's bits of it I appreciate, which I'm sure we'll come to, but I mean, I think we probably do it Metal Gear Solid three first and then one because technically, that I mean that's list order. But also, I think that is chronological order because isn't Metal Gear Solid three set before everything else? Yeah, it um it was re- released. Well, it was fifth in the series at that point because they'd obviously done Metal Gear and Metal Gear two, and then they did Metal Gear Solid and then Metal Gear Solid two and then Metal Gear Solid three. So it's technically fifth in the series. But from a storyline point of view, it is a prequel to everything. So it's the uh, I think it's set in the nineteen forties. Metal Gear Three. I don't know. I know that it it must be close to Metal Gear Two because there's characters in that that are yeah. in Metal Gear Two, and if you kill them, it causes a paradox, doesn't it? And you lose, which is one of yeah. the things that always immediately put me off that game because. I don't want to have to study the lore of Metal Gear to know who and who I can't kill. So I shot Revolver Ocelot because I know he's a dick. And I was like, if I take him out now, this is going to make my life a lot easier in number two. (laughs) And then I killed him and it's like, oh, time paradox, game over. And that was me done with that game to an extent. I've watched other people play it and I know the basis of it. I didn't know it was set that far back. But yeah, I think the games are set a bit further back than when they're released anyway, aren't they? Yes, yeah, yeah. That potentially is right then. That does make sense. But I think it it could technically be sixth in the series because didn't they release three games for um, NES and SNES? Because I think Metal Gear Solid 2... Uh, Kojima hated it. Yeah, he wasn't a fan. And he did his own version of it or something that he claims it's a sequel, but it's not the proper... It's a bit muddy, isn't it, the history of Metal Gear? And the the early games are rubbish as well. I don't know how it got to this point because the two NES... The NES one, I think they're NES, weren't they? Are bad. They're just bad games in general. You watch someone play those games now or go back and try and play them yourself. You have to change to the different key cards and go up to the doors and it doesn't tell you whether it's going to work or not. So you have to just cycle through every key card you've got at every door until one of them might open it. You have to do that and you have to replace like a gas mask with a key card or something, don't you? So if you're in a room with gas, you just 
gradually start dying because in that world you can't have a gas mask on your face and also swipe a key card that'd be ridiculous <laughs> so there's so many little bits in it like that and i don't think metal gear's even in the first one don't you just fight a big computer at the end of it in the first yeah, the NES actual game. the actual physical metal gears themselves so they're sort of nuclear weapons aren't they that are mm. in the form of mechs basically uh, but yeah, they don't make an appearance in anything up until Metal Gear. Uh, Metal Gear Solid, sorry. But I, I think the culty appreciation of Metal Gear as a franchise and the is also the reason that it puts people off, and that is mm. Hideo Kojima writes dialogue and story like he's never left his house. <laughs> and he's he's got he's got a, a lovely touch of the auteur genius about him. He's obviously ridiculously bright, absolutely adores sort of action films and old spy movies, that sort of thing, and likes the narrative you get in films and has tried really early on, because 1998 is ridiculously early for the amount of story that gets thrown at you in Metal Gear Solid 1. And he's tried to convert gaming into a a form of cinema art form, Mm. um, which is brave to do. But unfortunately, it makes it incredibly dense and really difficult to get through. There are, like I say, there are bits I like about all of the Metal Gear Solid game, uh, the Metal Gear games, even the original ones. So the the quirkiness, like you say, of putting in cigarettes, for example, where you can smoke a cigarette and it will damage your health, but there are benefits to doing it, but at the the cost of your health. And there's there's little like you say, touches of genius like that, even in an NES game where you don't usually see that level of detail. So you have to give it... I think even then they had a lot of storyline, didn't they, for an NES game, compared to the usual, oh, like Contra, this is your character, run and shoot and blow everything up. It had a bit more to it, and I do appreciate that. And I don't, I can't say as much for Metal Gear Solid 3. The only example I can think of is the sniper, where you can outlive him rather than fighting him. Because he's he's like an old bloke, isn't he? So you can, yeah. instead of trying to fight him, which is incredibly difficult, if you just leave your PS2 on for 24 hours or something, is it? He just dies of natural causes and you don't have to take him on. Stuff like that is stuff that I really like in games. It reminds me a bit of, you know, Taskmaster, the TV show. Yes. That element of coming up with clever ways to do potentially mundane or straightforward things and he puts a lot of that into his games and that is the bit that i really appreciate and when we come to metal gear solid one in particular and then two a little bit more i'll talk about more of that kind of thing but i don't there probably is more examples in metal gear solid 3 i just haven't played it extensively enough but i think that's the one that sticks out isn't it that you you can basically is he called time the sniper the end the The end end, that's it so you you can just outlive him, which is so clever to come up with that idea. And how someone figured that out, it must have been that they were playing it, paused it, went and got some food, forgot they'd turned it on, and then came back to it hours later and found that he was dead. Or I just don't know how you'd ever figure that out. Um, to be fair, um, in a lot of Hideo Kojima's games, he does have that sort of... he. He likes the freedom, uh, to offer players freedom. And I know a lot of modern games sort of give you the illusion of freedom. You know, play it your way. However, it's always um, run in, shoot it up. Oh, there's too many guards. I'm going to have to go back to stealth. Um, Whereas with Metal Gear Solid in particular and the, the series as a whole, you can literally play it your way. 
if mm. if you want to lure a guard away by because you can tap on walls if I remember rightly in three. Yeah. They've yeah. evolved the combat to a point where you can like lean up against a wall, tap on the metal, and it'll draw a guard's attention. Or you can pick something up and throw it and draw their attention that way. Or you can just run in all guns blazing. And I think Metal Gear also flicks between third person and first person as well. So in certain sections in the original yeah. Metal Gear, you got first person sections where you were going through like air ducts and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, but you yeah. could also aim in first person in Metal Gear 3. So he is a genius. He really is. I think in Metal Gear Solid and Metal Gear Solid 2, I'm sure you could do the wall tapping thing in that as well. It's like a distraction technique, and yeah, you could definitely throw things in two. I don't know about one, but it does sound familiar. And then there's obviously all the other stuff that he puts in, so hiding in lockers, hiding in cardboard boxes and shuffling along when no one's looking. And I like the fact as well that when something like that happens, the guards don't immediately just open fire. In a lot of other games, if they saw you moving even if you're in a cardboard box it would be oh just start shooting at it whereas in metal gear solid they get a bit startled they don't really know what's going on and they come to investigate it and if you're quick enough you can be ready to counteract what they're going to do or slip into some other mode of stealth to to escape them so i do i really and i think that's been incorporated into other games since but before metal gear solid i don't remember many where if it was a stealth mission and you got you attracted attention, even if you didn't actually get spotted. It wasn't just, that's it. They know you're there and they're going to open fire and come after you. I think the example I can think of off the top of my head, and it isn't a great one, is in Ocarina of Time, when you sneak in through the Royal Gardens. And as soon as one of the guards sees you, that's it. You're back to the start, aren't you? It doesn't. You yeah. don't get a chance to try and escape or hide again. It's just done. It freezes and you're out. Whereas this... They act like real guards would act. If you saw a cardboard box shuffling along the floor, you wouldn't just shoot it. You'd think, what the hell is going on? And you'd go and investigate it. So he'd done a really good job of of getting that aspect into it, of the enemies are human, I suppose. They're not just automatons that are programmed to, right, this is, this is the enemy in this game, and if we catch any glimpse of it, just open fire and think about the consequences later. Yeah, um, and I mean, I, I kind of get the feeling that this episode we're going to flip between 3, 1 and the other ones in the series because yeah. they all sort of really, really overlap. They don't evolve much. I mean, they change little bits and make little improvements, quality of life changes and stuff like that as it goes on. But as a whole, they are quite homogenous. They're quite samey. But the first one introduced, like, the radar. Yeah. So that little radar in the top right corner, never been done before in gaming. So you could see where you were in real time in relation to other enemies within your vicinity. And then it also introduced visibility cones. Yeah. So again, never been done before that. And it is a trope that is carried on predominantly through sort of video games as a whole, really. Um, and then in three, you had the your sort of camouflage meter. Mm. So they took what Thief did with the with your visibility gem and they gave you a percentage rating on how visible you are, because obviously three set in a forest, as you said earlier, and you could literally change your face paint, you could change your outfit. I think there's you can get hats, so if you, you can swim underwater, <laughs> and if you want to, you can put a little crocodile hat on, and when you're <laughs> swimming underwater, the guards just don't notice you, because they're just like, oh, it's a crocodile there. Actually, it's a secret agent with a plastic crocodile on his head. 
<laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I mean, there's full game franchises spun off of that radar mechanic. I mean, Hitman is... If Hitman didn't have that radar and visibility cones, you wouldn't have a game there, I don't think. And then they've, they've took the camouflage a step further in Hitman, haven't they? I mean, I'm amazed there aren't any Hitman games in this list because I love Hitman games. And it, it's completely in the face of everything I stand for because I usually hate stealth because I'm terrible at stealth and... I usually just run in all guns blazing whenever there's an option. If I have to do four stealth, I'm furious. In Breath of the Wild, where you have to follow that Korok in stealth through that forest, is that nearly made me stop playing it when I got to that mission because I just hate doing that so much. And and it just I did it about twenty times before I finished it, and it drove me to my wits end. So usually stealth is something I don't get on with, but Hitman, coming back to that taskmastery different ways to do things idea the scope of how you can take out your targets in hitman is absolutely ridiculous i mean the the one that springs to mind is the you're in a theater and you've got to pick off i think the reenacting abraham lincoln's assassination or something and you have to pick them off and you can go straight to the balcony and shoot them and run out you can pretend to be a workman and take the pins out of the chandelier so you can drop that on them you can poison them when they're in the dressing room you can swap the gun for a fake gun for a real gun and and have them shot which terrible foreshadowing for for what happened to poor old uh, <laughs> was it Stephen baldwin or alec baldwin when uh, he he shot that woman i mean that's exactly the same scenario wasn't it but not (laughs) not intended so yeah that's why i like hitman because you get all those different and and you could play the same level 10 times and do it a different way every time and i think that's what spawned from metal gear solid if you didn't have the metal gear solid radar system hitman really struggles they would have had to come up that with that themselves because you can't do hitman you can do hitman without a radar but it is incredibly useful to have that radar turned on and like you said it spans through loads of games i I know i keep harking back to it nearly every episode gregory horror show has got a radar with visibility cones for when the other guests are coming after you identical almost to metal gear solid so that again wouldn't have that scope to it i don't think resident evil has a of radar does it that doesn't use that kind of thing but they implemented it in gregory horror show because it's so important that you know where other people are and what they're looking at and whether you can sneak around them we've got to give it points just for coming up with an idea as revolutionary as that which you which goes under the radar a lot you wouldn't immediately think oh metal gear solid that came up with this whole radar system that gets used across so many games yeah, and and I think again that is probably a massive credit to Hideo Kojima and how he how he views the world because mm. he has some some of the stuff he includes in games is just downright bizarre and you wouldn't think would make sense in a game. For example, the the food meter in um, Metal Gear Three. So you have to eat food to keep your stamina up. And when you don't eat food consistently, your stamina drops and then your aim becomes inaccurate, which which would make sense. There is a logical progression there. But also on top of that, because as it, the more hungry Snake gets, his stomach la- uh, starts to growl loudly and alerts guards that are in the vicinity. And he's like, why was this needed? That's it. You wouldn't ever... Th- we wouldn't ever think of that, but it's a great idea, and it does play yeah. into this existing world of 
that is what would happen in real life. If you got hungry, your stomach would start making noises. You would get less accurate, more clumsy, I suppose, and less careful in your movements because you'd be distracted by it. So it makes perfect sense, but most people wouldn't ever think of it. And I mean, I, like I said at the start, I'm not a huge Metal Gear Solid fan, but the more you talk about it, the more you realise how important it is and how good of a game it is, and it's just not for me, necessarily. The first one, just to move on to the first one a little bit, I, as I said, I didn't have, my friend had it, so we played it loads. And I did enjoy it. I, I think it, as a two-player experience, strangely enough, it was quite fascinating because we used to pass the pad between each other whenever we died and it was like watching a film with a friend like you say watching films is always more enjoyable when you're doing it with someone else and that sort of applied to Metal Gear Solid I enjoyed it a lot more when there was two of us and we were talking about the plot and what we thought was going to happen next and how to beat bosses because some of the bosses are quite cryptic that we'll come to and then like the bit where that nerd himself in the locker because the the ninja guy is is he just called ninja i think so comes after him and he, he wets himself oh well us in 1998 as like 14 13 14 year olds that was the most hilarious thing that could ever happen so it was like a shared experience and um he's actually one of our patrons the, the guy that i used to play it with lee so yeah, for, for me, that is one of those memories from school that I've got that I look back on so fondly is playing that game with him quite a lot. But yeah, to, to hark on about the cleverness aspect again, like with the end in Metal Gear Solid 3, Metal Gear Solid 1 does it perfectly with um, Psycho Mantis, is he called? Yeah. So for those not, I mean, nearly everyone knows this now, but we'll we'll retread the ground anyway. When you get to the Psycho Mantis boss, he's, his powers are telekinetic so he can read your mind so whenever you try and attack him he knows what you're going to do and he dodges out the way of it straight away and you can spend hours trying to beat him and you never you'll never land a hit it just doesn't work and he it does sort of give you a clue as to what to do it doesn't outright tell you but it, it implies but he can also read your memory card so he'll say oh you've clocked up this many hours on on this game and you've died this many times and and it knows how much you played Metal Gear, and it'll comment on other games on the memory card. And I think if you've got a Castlevania save on there, because it's another Konami game, it, it does some sort of specific dialogue to talk about playing Castlevania. And to again, to think about doing that in a game was just crazy. And that's the kind of stuff that I absolutely love when it, when you get that level of fourth wall break i suppose and it it sort of intrudes on your life just a little bit there's a game called inscription i don't know i don't think we've talked about it on the show we've talked about it quite a bit one of my favorite games and it's it's a game that we were going to do an episode on and then we realized that we can't talk about it because saying anything about it past the first two minutes of the game will ruin it for people that haven't played it you need to sit and play it yourself because it's so weird and so bizarre and takes so many left turns that you're not expecting. You just need to experience it yourself. But there's a point in that game, I don't think I'm going to ruin it for anyone saying this, where you fight one of the bosses and it's sort of a supercomputer and it will pull images out of your computer and show you your own pictures in the game or say you've got this file or this file and if you don't beat me on the next so many turns, I'm going to delete them from your computer. And it actually, you get to the point where you're like, 
can it do this? Like, could it actually do that if it wanted to? Because it's it's accessed them, so why could it not delete them? And that kind of level of fourth wall break and including your own personal life in a game that you don't expect is something I love. And that's this was probably one of the first experiences of it doing it, I would think. Yeah, I would assume so. And isn't it part of the Psychomantis boss fight where you literally have to unplug your controller from port one? Because he starts like inverting your controls and stuff, doesn't yeah. he? Um, so you have to literally unplug your controller, which you are always told not to do, particularly on older consoles, because if you then plugged <laughs> it back in, it usually didn't register that you'd plugged a con- uh, co- uh, controller in, so you had to reset the console. But yeah, it was like, oh yeah, you need to unplug your controller from port one and stick it in port two, and he can't access that. So you could then work around whatever telekinetic powers he was using at the time. But there are loads of other games that have done it. But not before this one. No, definitely not before this one. There's a load of, I think it's called uh, Doki Doki Literature Club. It's Uh, one of those sort of weeby um, visual novel games. But you, it's sort of, it's a normal visual novel with a bit of a horror twist to it. And you get to the final boss and it is like oh, you need to, in order to defeat me, it's a bit basic, but it's like you need to um, come out of the game, go into your folders, find this file within the game's file and drag it into your recycling bin. And that's how you defeat the boss. And it's like, Mm. again, it's that fourth wall break of the game knowing reality. um, And it's all stemmed from Kojima. Yeah, the controller thing is what I alluded to with it, it giving you clues. So it does sort of, it says, oh, I can control it. I, I know exactly what you're going to do. I can come in, like you say, it might flip your controls or it knows what input you're going to do. And it doesn't ever outright say you need to put your controller into port two. But I think it drops some sort of hints that the second port might not be being monitored or words to that effect that don't immediately say unplug your controller, but reading between the lines, that is what it's leading you towards. Yeah. And then as soon as you plug it into controller two, he effectively says that he's been blocked from reading your mind. And then it's an incredibly easy boss fight from that point on because he, he practically submits. But until you figure that out, you could spend hours trying to, trying to beat him and not being able to do it. And they program that much dialogue into it for the bit where he can read your mind that it it feels like you're not going around in circles until a point where eventually you start noticing the repetition and then it's like, well, I need to do something different now. And that's where it comes in. So, yeah, that I've, and there's probably more examples of it in, in Metal Gear Solid 1, but that's the main one I can think of. There's, there's the torture bit, isn't there, where you have to really bash the pad to... To um to keep your torture meter from going down to the point where you submit and give up, give away what you know, and I think in that we were just reading up on it, weren't we? And it said something about how you can you speak to someone and they said, oh, we can re- release some endorphins or whatever, and it makes your controller rumble. So again, it's it's something coming out of the game to to affect you in real life, and I think that is just such a clever thing to do. And they do it again in in Sons of Liberty, the second game. Not not as much as as the one in in Metal Gear, but I think they do um they do a bit where it makes you think like you've died, and it shows the proper game over screen in the game, and because there's a very specific death scene, isn't there, where it flashes the Metal Gear Solid logo and it plays that certain noise, and the comms are saying 
is it snake or raiden depending on who you are it's like shout screaming your name and it, and you've died and it does that at one point in it and you think oh it's game over and then it sort of reboots itself and it takes you back into the game and it's it's bits like that yeah where they're aware of reality I just like that in games. Some games take it too far and it's all they're about and then that's just too much. But when it's done subtly and it's just a little bit throughout the game, I think it's brilliant. Yeah, the only other one I can think of in Metal Gear 1 is where you're looking for a code. So it's like a four or five digit code and it's part of, it's like a little side mission sort of thing. Mm. And it just says, oh, you'll find the uh, access code to this codec on the back of the box. And you're there going, what box? So you're there flicking through your inventory going, nope, I haven't got a box. You're picking up like your magazines uh, for your weapons, thinking, is it is it for this? Is it my ammo box? And you're trying to rotate that and in the little in-game menu. It's not that. So you then end up wandering the mission, uh, sorry, the level for hours trying to find the box. And it's actually the game case. The physical case that the game came in, there is a little five-digit code on the back of it. And it's like, why would you think to look there? But again, again, another clever subversion of what you expect. I wonder what they've done with that on the re-releases, the digital re-releases, when you don't have a box. That's a good point. Because, yeah, you wouldn't be able to get away with that as much these days, would you? Because people can buy the digital version and won't have that box. And for me, that sort of harks back to and is a little nod to like copyright protection in earlier days, especially for PC games. The amount of games you get where you got some quite complicated things to, to stop people from pirating games. I mean, I remember some of the simple ones. I We had a football, um, it was rubbish. It was like a Sensible Soccer knockoff. And I mean, Sensible Soccer wasn't expensive or particularly good, but this was like a knockoff of that. And one of my mates had it on a floppy disk. So we're like, oh, we can make some money here. We can copy this onto loads of floppy disks and sell it for like two quid a pop, round score. And then realise that when you boot the game up, it's like, oh, give us the score for Argentina versus Peru on this date. And in the book, there's a grid of dates and teams and you have to go through and, and put the score in. And I remember going to like the spa in, in the next village over with this book. And I, I want to photocopy this page 30 times. <laughs> And she looked at me, and it was clearly like copy protection that I was trying to avoid getting around. She just went, yeah, all right then. So she put it on the darkest setting, because it was all in really light yellow, so you couldn't photocopy it or you weren't meant to be able to. And she photocopied it on the darkest setting, and it came out perfectly. And me and my friend were over the moon. We thought, oh, we're going to sell loads of copies of this at school. I think we sold about two. No one wanted it because it wasn't a game worth having, <laughs> even for two quid. But we got round it. But some of the games, like I think Monkey Island had a really infamous one, didn't it? You got a spinner, create your own pirate, and you had to put the head, the the I think the hat, the eyes, the nose, and the mouth in this spinner, and it would show you a pirate on screen, and you had to create it with the spinner. And then it would have a code down the side of it that you keyed in, and then it would let you play. So there were some really clever ones. I remember I had Leisure Suit Larry, the first one, which I think we've covered this. I shouldn't have had (laughs) at that age, but I did. And in the first one, it won't let you play the game until you answer trivia questions. There's there's five (laughs) trivia questions, and you need to get three of them right. But they're all American 80s trivia. So as a 14-year-old English kid, I had no chance. 
And it got to the point where I was just writing all the questions down in a book. And then when I got the answer right, marking which answer it was. And then eventually I had this little codex where I could go, right, it's that question, that's the answer, and then eventually get in. But that took hours to, to break that. But yeah, that sounds like it, it, it was maybe it was a tip of the hat from him to, to the old piracy prevention measures to put a code on the box that you had to enter before you could yeah. finish this mission, which is is pretty nice touch. As I say, Metal Gear Solid 2, I don't remember many of them apart from that game over one, but it's quite a big one because it's at a, a key point in the storyline. I think you're fleeing from somewhere and it, it happens and everything starts breaking down, the screen goes off and you think your game's completely corrupted. I know I did when I first got it. And then it turns out that it's now it's, they're just messing with you again and it carries on. While we're on Metal Gear Solid 2, I think it's worth mentioning because it isn't in the list. It's like 400th in the list because there's a little box that tells you next to Metal Gear Solid 1 where all the other games placed. And for me, that is a bit of a travesty because I would say 2 is better than 3, personally. Yeah, it is. In terms of a broad spectrum, it is rated higher than 1 and 3. Usually in like game ranking uh, lists, it's usually the the highest one out of the lot. I think it may be probably due to the bit of the rug pull that Kojima does with Metal Gear Two, because um, I mean it is very clever because the entire game's about misinformation, basically, and the entire sort of lead up and the build up to Metal Gear Solid Two's release was. It, all the adverts were about Solid Snake. It was like, oh, this new stealth action game from Hideo Kojima and Konami. And then you boot it up and you go, right, here's Snake. Oh, right, we're five minutes in. Guess who you're not playing as for the rest of this game? Here's this new rookie <laughs> lad that nobody's going to like. And they literally just pull the rug from under your feet, take Snake away, who everyone loved because he was voiced by David Hayter, and then they give you Raiden, who's just a bit of a bitch, really. <laughs> he's just he's just a bit of a wimp, and he's a complete rookie. Yeah, I remember I wasn't that attached to Snake, not having the first one and not playing it as thoroughly as a lot of people did. But even I was a bit miffed when... Because the first bit where you are Snake, I think, was the demo where you're on the ship and you it's like 10, 15 minutes maybe max. And that bit is fantastic because you break into the ship and there's all places for you to hide. And you find a room at the end that's full of soldiers just lined up in front of a, a Metal Gear, I think it is. And a guy gives a speech to them and, and then you think, do you get captured or something along those lines? Or you fall off the ship and then that's it. Like you say, that's done. That's snake done. But that bit of the game is brilliant because... There was this bit where if you go into that room and they're all lined up, you can kick the one at the back and they go down like like bowling pins and they spread out. And you used to be able to challenge your mates to see who could knock like as many of them down as you could. And there was this rumour going around that if you managed to floor all of them, it unlocked some sort of cheat like the, the red bandana or something. Never actually did. But there's also in that room, if you go to a particular spot and look behind the Metal Gear, Revolver Ocelot is stood behind it watching. And there was a lot of talk that if you could kill him there, it changed the game further on. But I don't think it was possible to do because by the time you pull your gun, he disappears. It's just a little Easter egg for for people who recognise him. But that beginning bit was brilliant. And then yeah, I don't. I remember that bit almost room for room, 
I don't remember any of the the riding bit apart from the bit where it pretends that you've game overed and you haven't. And potentially one bit where you're walking around a dam or something and you have to snipe people in the distance. They're the only two. And I th- oh, and I think a bit near there where you have to go underwater because I hate underwater sections. So they're the only three bits I remember from his part of the game. Whereas Snake's first 10 minutes, I could probably talk you through it from the start to the finish even now. I think um, I think the reasoning behind it was that because Hideo Kojima sort of likes information dumps instead of weaving the narrative cleverly into the story and building it that way, he likes to just sort of vomit an info dump on you. And I think with it obviously being like the fourth game chronology in terms of Metal Gear chrono- uh, chronology, I think at that point it would have been ridiculous from a storyline perspective, to have someone just verbally explaining essentially Snake's life for the last <laughs> 40 years and what was going on and wh- who was who. And it's like, yeah, he, he should know all this already. So I think that's why to sort of bring the audience with him on his narrative journey, he takes Snake out of the picture and brings in this rookie who hasn't got a clue what's going on. And you get to ex- so you get to experience the revelations of Metal Gear alongside Raiden. Yeah. which would make sense. But I don't think many fans were very happy with the fact that they took um, Solid Snake out and put him in instead. I don't think he plays particularly differently either, does he? It's it's just yeah. the look and the voice and the, character, the personality that people missed in that game. And then when you got three and it was back to Snake, that's probably why three reviewed so well. Because the bits I remember of three, I don't remember it being as good as two. But because you've got Snake back in it and they've put in, like you said, the hunger meter thing's quite clever, the camo level's quite clever, it's in a, a quite a sprawling location, whereas I think Metal Gear 1 and 2, you're a bit confined, aren't you, to building corridors or like a boat, like I said, or a dam or inside. So you're always confined, whereas 3, you can almost go and do what you want to an extent. It is a linear, but there's a lot more to explore which they, they carried on in the series, didn't they? And and then went too far with it, with number five, because yeah. number five is pretty much open world, from what I understand. I've not played much of it. Um, I've played the first... Uh, I've, I'll be honest, I didn't really pick it up at the start, to be honest with you, um, but I've never really played that much Metal Gear in, in terms of the series. I've, I've played a bit of two and a bit of three. Never played the original and I bought five because it came out to such a massive amount of hype, and I was like, the storyline can't be that important. I'm sure I can pick it up. <laughs> um, regrettably so. But yeah, it is. I think I've played the first 10, 15 hours of it. Haven't got a clue who's who, what's going on. All I know is that I started the game in a hospital, and a man who is on fire and a psychic toddler come to try and hunt me down and then a giant lava whale comes out of the ground and eats a helicopter and I was just like, what is going on? I was just um, going to ask you yeah. if that's if that's how it starts because I've played that bit in the hospital. Yeah. I've played 1, 2 and some of 3 and I don't know what was going on. So unless something very informative happens in 4 that we're both missing, I don't know what the start of five is all about, and I just, I, it wasn't Metal Gear for me when I was playing it. I don't know if it opens up into a more Metal Gear experience once you get out of that hospital and stuff, but I just, it didn't 
capture me. And like I've said before, another downside of Game Pass, if something doesn't grip me in in the first hour or the first 15 or 20 minutes, I'm just dumping it and moving on to something else. And that's what happened with this. So I, I probably would enjoy it a little bit more if I went back to it. But I think 5, did we discuss this, the, the pervy one as well? It got a bit of backlash, didn't it, for what is she called? Uh, Quiet. Quiet, who who is is a female protagonist. She's on your side, isn't she, for the, the most part of it? Yeah. But she's very scantily dressed in most of the scenes. And as it transpires, there's, he's actually written, Kojima's actually written a storyline reason for why she can't wear clothes. And that's because she breathes through her skin. So wearing clothes would suffocate her. Which is just a bizarre choice to put into a game, a franchise that's what seven or eight games in by that point, to to show your hand and go, oh, I want this nearly naked woman in here, and this is why. So don't anyone question it because I've put a reason in. It's not like Bayonetta where she's just naked for the sake of it. There's a very good reason why this girl has to be in a in her underwear at all times. Thank you, and just chuck that into the game. <laughs> and then it it took a while for like it to kick off about it as well though didn't it like at first people didn't really bother with it and then all of a sudden it's everywhere like why is this girl with no clothes on and why is she it's quite explicit when she does certain moves and blah 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 and i'm I'm on the fence with it because i don't get why people complain about nudity and stuff in video games because it's not real and i don't think many well there's probably are people out there that'll get off on it but not many of them and I also see the other side of the fence where it's not really necessary either because it's not real and not many people will enjoy it for what it is. You put a scene like that in a film. I mean, I don't. sometimes I don't agree with it in films and TV series. It doesn't add anything. They just put it in there for the sake of it. I mean, if, if somebody's wanting to see that kind of thing, they've got the internet. They don't need to watch like five minutes of awkward shots in a film to see that kind of thing. Unless they're like 11. I mean, that's probably what we were doing when we were that age, putting the Channel 5 movie on at night and and seeing what came up on that. But times have moved on. There's the internet now. You don't need that kind of thing. So putting that in a game, for me, dilutes it even more because it's not even real. So what's, what's the point in it? So I can see both sides of the fence. But yeah, it was an odd decision to go, well, I want this nearly naked woman in my game and I'm going to come up with a really good reason for it. I'm not just going to put her in and let the backlash happen. I'm going to put her in and tell you why she has to be naked all the time. Yeah, and that's that's another sort of trademark of Kojima's writing and Kojima's story. There is always a really beautiful female protagonist alongside the male, and there is always something about them that is messed up, and I don't think Quiet was helped by So she's scantily clad, and she doesn't say anything. And it's the the stereotypical, ah, oh, that's why we like our women sort of thing, <laughs> not saying anything sort of thing. And again, it comes up with a really convoluted reason as to why she never speaks. And it's the fact that she's infected with a parasite that only affects people who speak English in the hopes of being able to cull uh, the English-speaking portion of the world within the Metal Gear universe. And he does it in... Um, Death Stranding, so the main female character in that is incredibly pretty, and again, she's been exposed, Her but the rest of her body has been exposed to something called timefall, which is rain that rapidly ages your body if it makes physical contact with skin, and the rest of her body's been exposed to timefall, so she's got like the physical skin of a 
70-year-old woman on the rest of her body, but she is stunningly pretty on the face. And it's like, he just continues it in every sort of iteration of a franchise. He sort of has to get this really pretty woman, but there's something messed up about them in there somewhere. I mean, at least we can be thankful for the fact she doesn't breathe through her skin, so she can wear clothes. Yes. But it is, yeah, that is, I didn't think about it like that until you said it. The fact that he's got this woman who doesn't speak and is always nearly naked, which it is like he's just gone, this is my perfect woman, like you said. And this, yeah. these are the reasons that she is in this game this way. Don't think I'm just doing it because I like it. I've written this. Like, I'm not, it's almost like he's going, I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to do it this way, but this <laughs> is how it was made written. Me do it. Yeah. So yeah, that five didn't get the best reviews, did it? And was it you saying that five was the one where they carved the beginning off of it and released it as a separate game and charged you twice, essentially? Essentially, yeah. So they released as sort of a they referred to it as like a prelude to it called Ground Zeroes, but it essentially gives you the reason for the beginning of Metal Gear Five and how it starts with you in the hospital. So and it's it's about a 20-minute to an hour-long campaign, and it is one mission. You are to go into this base. You are to sneak past the guards. You're supposed to rescue one person. Once you've rescued that person and taken them back and got them out of there, you then get given a sub-mission to go back in and save the person that you're actually there to save. So you go back in, and it takes you about any anywhere between 20 minutes to an hour, and they charged you about 40 quid for it initially. I was like, <laughs> sorry, idiot. Can you explain to me why you carved the beginning 20 minutes off your game and charged me an extra 40 quid for it, please? Imagine if they'd done that with Sons of Liberty and just put the snake bit out on the boat yeah. for 40 quid. That's essentially the same thing. I, I don't get it. And I think it dropped in price rapidly when the backlash came about, didn't it? But it did. that doesn't help anyone who's paid 40 quid for it and got about an hour's worth of gameplay. Uh, yeah, did they not do a new, newish Metal Gear where it's completely different to what a normal Metal Gear game is, and that released uh, got a load of backlash. Yes, Metal Gear Survive, which was a looter crafter zombie horde fight fighter off a thingy um, that had no right being a Metal Gear game. However, it's at this point obviously that they've Konami have essentially sacked Kojima. They've just basically gone, don't want anything more to do with you. Cancel Silent Hills. Screw screw the public that actually wanted that game. We want to make pachinko machines and um, little <laughs> pocky dispensers instead rather than actually make serious games as a game developer. But with that, obviously, Kojima's lost the license completely to Metal Gear. So there will never mm. be another Metal Gear Solid game unless they reach some sort of amicable decision and one gives up the full rights to the other. Um, but now, yeah, Konami are just seemingly happy to just pick up all their back catalogue and just smash it to bits. Didn't they? It's Contra Konami as well. Yes. Because they, they did that with Contra, didn't they? They turned that into like a roguelike shooter with a panda. You could be a panda and then that was garbage. And that's not yeah. a Contra game. Why are they doing it? It's like they're developing games and going... Well, this won't sell on its own. What franchise have we got that we can just slap over the top of it? Yeah, and I, I think the biggest loss, um, and we can we can discuss it now if you want, will be Silent Hills and PT yeah. um, from the world because that was set to be 
fantastic. It really was. Yeah, we've got we have got there is Silent Hill on the list, isn't there? So we are going to do a Silent Hill episode. But yeah, I think PT fits here as much as it does in the Silent Hills ep- uh, the Silent Hill episode. So I had it. I had it downloaded on my PlayStation. Never got round to playing it. They took it off, and I don't know what happened. I don't know if my PlayStation or whether PlayStation 3s in general did that thing where if you ran out of space, they deleted the oldest thing that you haven't played. But the icon's still there, but when I try and play it, it just it's like, now I can't download this anymore. So I don't know what happened with that. So unfortunately, I don't have it anymore. But there was absolute hysteria, weren't there, when it got cancelled? People yeah. were selling PS3s with it installed on it for like thousands of pounds. And... I I've never played it. I've watched a lot of people on YouTube playing it because there are some brilliant playthroughs of it out there. I mean, if you want a playthrough that gets all the way through it and you see all of it, there are other there are better ones, but the Game Grumps one in particular when they play through it because Dan is just terrified of everything <laughs> and Aaron knows what's coming and just you can hear the joy in his voice when he knows that something is going to scare him. So that's the one I always go to and watch. I must have watched that about 10 or 20 times now because you just get that feel for what the game would have been and how messed up it was going to be, but at the same time, amazing. And I know I would have struggled to play it because I struggle with Resident Evil 7. It just, the first person aspect of a horror game like that, when the graphics are as real as they now are, just freaked me out. And 7... Me and Jordan, who I did the pack opening with, which will be going on YouTube soon, by the way, as soon as I can find 12 gig of broadband to download it without me having to sit up all night. Me, him, and another friend, Jack, sat up and played Resident Evil 7 one Halloween. So we'd set the garage up in like spooky surroundings, all the decorations up, the like low flickering lights, started playing it, and we played it for about four, four or five hours, probably. And I felt sick at the end of it. I felt physically sick. I don't know if it was the motion or the content of it. I mean, it is pretty grim. But I think it was probably more the motion and the fact we'd eaten quite a lot. But I just we had to stop playing. So I was like, I'm going to be sick if we carry on playing this. And we <laughs> we got up to the second phase, I think. So we beat the the old man. And then the woman was coming after us. And we didn't know what we were doing. And we just blasted her with every little bit of flame of fuel we had. And it did nothing, obviously, because that's not what you're meant to do. But now we have no flame of fuel left and you need it to get into circuit boxes and stuff that are overrun with insects. So I think we've killed that run. I think we'd have to start it again. But I, I really wish we'd have somehow recorded it because it was some of the events that happened during <laughs> playing that game were amazing. There's... There's one bit in it where it flashes back and you, I think you put a VHS tape in or something and it flashes yeah. you back to these two guys investigating the house and they're talking in the distance and we're watching it thinking it's a cutscene and then they walk off and we were just sat there and we looked at each other and we went, well, what's happening? Has it broke? Has something crashed? And then Jordan, who was controlling it at the time because we kept passing the pad off, realised that he could move and follow them and actually you're the camera in that situation. But I swear to God, for about 10 minutes, we just sat there watching a blank screen thinking, oh, something <laughs> must happen soon. It, it must just be like, you know, on Skyrim or something where it glitches and nothing happens for like 10 minutes, then it kicks back in. We were convinced it was one of those and then all of a sudden Jordan just went, oh, I can follow them. I was like, oh, that'd be a good idea then. <laughs> and we got back into it. But I really enjoyed that, but it did, yeah. Games like that, I know PT would have 
I'd have been really, really bad with that one. And I think we probably could get away with doing a Silent Hill special, if not talking about all the other games on the Silent Hill episode, because I don't know if you ever played Silent Hill 4, The Room. Yes. That game is so strange. And I've got such fond memories of that. Again, we were we'd finished school, it was before we started college. Me and a couple of mates used to get together every night and play it and have a few drinks and play that. And it is such a bizarre game and it gives me it used to me- creep me out even back then, and I think playing it now would as well because there's so many weird little intricacies in that game that I'd love to talk about that more because it. I think we finished it. We got the worst ending because we didn't have a clue what we were doing. But, yeah, that one that one for another episode would be good. But back to PT, yeah, it is a massive loss, isn't it? It's That game would have been huge. It would have been... If it was a... Sony exclusive, it would have sold PS3s like nobody's business. Yeah, because um, it was Hideo Kojima and it was Guillermo del Toro as well. Mm. So the lad that does Hellboy, that does sort of, um, I think he did a film called Kronos from a while back, um, it's mm. about vampires, and he has a ridiculously vivid imagination when it comes to the grotesque so I think the boss monsters and just the enemies in Silent Hills would have been hauntingly disturbing had we got it. But sadly, like I say, Konami are just determined to trash every franchise they've got. Well, I mean, if you've seen the baby in the sink, the little jelly bean baby in the sink, yeah. that alone is hor- like horrifying. And that is a tiny taste of what would have been in the main game. And I think, was it Norman Reedus was signed up to do that, wasn't he, before Death Stranding? So it would have had that recognisable main character as well with like a guy who's come up with so many good horror tropes in games and a guy who's come up with so many good horror tropes in cinema. All those three things smashed together is such a loss. And it's unbelievable that somebody at Konami didn't go, all right, let's just settle down a bit. Let's rethink this because this could be absolutely amazing. For the sake of this game alone, can we not just put all our differences aside and get this out and then decide what we do? So, uh, yeah, it, it will always be one that, that never was. And I can't imagine it's ever going to get revived because I assume that's the same, isn't it? I assume Konami owned the, the rights and he owns something to do with no one else can make a Silent Hill. Although have they made Silent Hill games without him? Because there have been some rubbish ones, haven't there? Oh yeah, yeah. The, the Silent Hill isn't um, associated with Hideo Kojima at all. It was, I think, the storyline was all but done and storyboarding and stuff like that, and the monster design and what have you. It so they'd never be able to use it again because it's all his intellectual property or their intellectual property collectively. And I'm assuming if they tried to release it without him, he'd probably sue them out the ass. Um, but. Yeah, it, it's they're re-releasing Silent Hill two. They're doing a remaster or a remake of it, like they've done with Resident Evil. But most of the Silent Hills after two really haven't been great. But yeah, Metal yeah, Gear. I don't, I don't <laughs> think the the room wasn't a good game, but it was just weird enough that it kept yeah. you engaged. It wasn't, it didn't play well. The storyline was a bit all over the place, but there was enough weirdness about it that you wanted to see what weirdness was going to happen next. And there are some genuinely terrifying moments in that game when when you're in 
the room, the titular room, and like faces come out the wall, or you wake up and there's a shadow of a little kid playing with a yo-yo in in the closet when you turn around, and it's just really it's stuff that if hap- if you happen to in real life, you'd never sleep again. It would just yeah. ruin your life completely. And I've not played three. I bought three, and then my PlayStation Two stopped working. So I've got a perfectly good copy of it, but I can't play it, and I never got back to playing it. So I would like to go back to three because that one's not meant to be bad, is it? No, three's all right. So yeah, that might be one that we, if we ever get together to play a game, if we can get that working, that might be one we have to look at. But yeah, more on Silent Hill when we get to the Silent Hill episode, which can't be far off because we're run, we're fast running out of games that are worth talking about in the book. So. That will be coming up, I expect soon. But yeah, let's let's get a rating on on Metal Gear. I think we've I've certainly rambled enough in this episode, and I can see that you're getting increasingly hotter as the <laughs> as the episode Slowly goes on. Melting. <laughs> so yeah, for we're recording this on on the seventh, which I think has been the hottest day of the year so far, unless I'm mistaken. And Eddie sat in a loft. <laughs> So his his room's had the sun all day. He can't have the windows open because then you guys would hear traffic noises. So he sat there in this little sweat box <laughs> in the in the loft, getting gradually hotter because he had to plug his laptop in. So now that's kicking out some heat. So I think we need to put him out of his misery as quickly as we possibly can. So let's get a <laughs> let's get a rating in for these. So shall we do Metal Gear Solid three first? Yeah, I uh, I mean I'll rate it higher than one because of how much of an advancement it had made. The graphics are actually still incredibly passable for a PS2 game. Um, I don't think they've aged badly at all, which is saying something, because normally our usual standpoint is it's not aged that well, but it has actually aged quite well for a PS2 game, so it's like pushing 20 years old now, and I don't think it looks that bad. I thought it was a PS3 game until we did a little bit of research for today that I I genuinely thought that it came out on PS3. Did it come out on PS3 quite quickly after it came out on PS2 or am I just imagining that? No, they were intending on releasing it for the PS3. They built it with the PS3 in mind and then the the release date of the PS3 was too far away so they had to scale the project back. But then they ended up doing the collected edition where it's 2 and 3 on the same disc and it was like a HD version of it and that was released on the ps3 but that was about a year or so into its life i think right yeah so yeah three like you say looks brilliant i don't think it's the best of the series for me personally i know it it didn't review the best of the series either it reviewed slightly behind the first two i think only just we're talking fractions of of a percent but yeah for me it's it's the one i'm least interested in of the first three and certainly i don't i don't even consider four and five because i just never even played those so the the initial trilogy it's for me it's the lowest scoring one and i we did say this before we started recording i would put metal gear solid 2 on the list a hundred times over before three i mean i would put two on there before one personally because i think it improved on everything one did yeah definitely and and just made it better, but like you say, because of the the character switch, I think it gets unfairly remembered. Because at the time, it reviewed really well, didn't it? People still reviewed yeah. it really highly, 
But nowadays, I think people go, oh, it's not got a snake in it, so I don't like that one as much as the other two, and it, it suffers of a, as a result of that. So I'd be willing to look at somewhere in the 60s for three, I think. That's fair. And I'd go low, low 60s, I would say. I'll say 63, 64. Yeah, let's stick it at 63. I'll go on the low end on that one. And then for Metal Gear Solid... One, the original. I mean, from a from a from a strictly gameplay perspective, it's only five hours long. It's not a long game, really, and I don't rate it as highly as I do three. I definitely don't rate it as highly as I do two. However, in terms of overall impact on gaming as a medium and what it's given to the rest of uh, the gaming franchise, really. So sort of going forward with all the things that we've mentioned, all the little tropes that every mm. game seems to use these days, I I can't rate it highly enough, really, because without yeah. it, you're talking years, decades, without some sort of auteur like Hideo Kojima giving that to gaming as a, uh, as a medium, really. Yeah. I mean, personal preference, I'd put it above three because I don't care for three at all. And I've got more memory of one. Like you said, you never played one. So I suppose that factors into where you position it. Uh, For me, I've got a lot happier memories of playing one than I do three. I just didn't get on with three for whatever reason. The, The paradox things annoyed me initially. And I didn't like the fact you had to keep eating. I know it's a clever mechanic, but it's something I don't particularly appreciate in games when you have a hunger meter that is very detrimental, unless it's a survival game. But Metal Gear is not really meant to be that for me. It's it's an element of it, but it shouldn't be at the forefront. And I feel like when I was playing it, I had to keep that in the forefront of my mind to keep checking on it all the time. So I just didn't get on with it. I, I might do now, now that I've changed perspectives on games a bit. But at the time, I wasn't a fan. So... I'd put one higher than three personally, but also, like you say, what it's introduced to the gaming world, I think it deserves to be to be up there. So I'd be I'd push for like a seventy-eight at the minimum. Yeah, definitely happy with I that. I don't know if you think it should go higher. No, because stealth games are incredibly niche. So if you look at things like Dishonored, you look at Splinter Cell, Thief, Tenshu, that sort of thing. Incidentally as well, 1998, massive year for stealth gaming. Because you had Metal Gear come out, you had Tenshu Stealth Assassins, you had the first Splinter Cell, and you had Thief the Dark Project all come out in that year. So it must have just been a massive boom. I don't know what came out first, but I would hazard a guess that it was Metal Gear. I think, was it? Was that this the same year that Siphon Filter came out as well? Because that's a bit of a stealthy game. Yeah. So yeah, like you say, it probably they were all probably working on them at roughly the same time. But this stood out head and shoulders above all the others anyway, didn't yeah. it? Um, but yeah, Tenchu was a fun one because it was just so gruesome. But it was difficult. But it was like it was for those graphics. It was grisly, wasn't it? When you behead someone and that kind of thing. It was. It was one of those games we used to play and we felt like we shouldn't be playing at that age. <laughs> I remember that when we used to play it. Yeah, and I didn't realise until I was actually checking up on, you know, like Metal Gear Facts and stuff like that, that Tenchu's actually made by From Software. The people that made Dark Souls oh. made Tenchu. And I was just like, it does make really? Sense, yeah. I didn't know that. Some of the bosses in that were 
were brutal, weren't they? So yeah, it does make yeah. sense. It's where they sort of cut the teeth on getting nearly impossible to beat bosses. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's niche and it's to go back and play it now. I think you'd struggle a bit. Uh, and there are frustrating, there are incredibly frustrating bits in it where you'll just get caught over and over again unless you do a very specific thing. So I think 78 is probably fair. So we'll go with that. Now, we've put a couple of games into the list, our own personal preference. Crash, Spyro are the two that we've put in so far. I would make a case for, shall we put Metal Gear Solid 2 into our 100? Because I think it deserves to be there more than them two. And we've got quite a few spaces. So I would advocate for us putting Metal Gear 2 in with a, a higher rating than the other two, personally. I'd probably say, yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. It is definitely a, a crime that the people who filled out the forms for the Retro Gamer magazine to put their nominations in sort of skirted over it and reviewed it so poorly when it was just... it did everything better really and it's just the rose-tinted glasses that people have that make them forget how good a game it was and how much just taking out snake didn't really make a difference but i'd push for like 83 84 just to i was gonna say mid 80s so yeah we'll go 84 and we'll put that in in blue when i eventually get the list fixed because i think that it deserves to be there more than if it was me, I'd take the other two out and put that one in, personally. So we'll we'll put it in our list. We've still got quite a few spaces, so we could look at a Hitman or something like that and, and potentially do a, a Hitman special because there's... I don't even know how many Hitman games there's been now, but they all sit in isolation, don't they? So you don't need yeah. to have played any of the other... There is a bit of a, a, a story arc running through them, but you can just ignore it and just do the individual missions in isolation anyway. So yeah, we could talk about Hitman because the the ending of is it Revelations, I think, is one of my favourite gaming moments of all time. I think it's Revelations where you're dead and then you wake up on the like in the church in a white suit and just start taking everyone out that's around you with the with the two ballers. So yeah, that is I absolutely love that because it's got Ave Maria playing and it's so like <laughs> it's really really. I don't know what the word is. It's It's got this atmosphere to it, hasn't it? And it's just epic. And every time you do it, it, it just has the same impact as the first time. So yeah, I'd love to do a Hitman special. And a silent, probably a Silent Hill special if we don't get it all in, in the episode. But I think that covers off Metal Gear. There's probably a million other things we could say about it, but I'm not particularly interested in saying them. And I know I, I can see the, the sweat beading on your brow as we sit here and talk about this. His glasses are fogging up. It's it's not going well for him. I can't I'm, I can't have the aircon on because it'll make a humming noise. So I'm suffering for the cause as well for, for for the space of an hour. So for as a franchise, as I said at the start, it's never been one that's that's had a place in my heart. Unfortunately, I can appreciate its merits. I've had fun playing the games with friends, but I would never pick it if somebody said is is a game library of everything in the world, you can have 20 of them. Metal Gear isn't getting picked out of it. So that's that's where I stand on it. And I think you're probably the same. or If not, sort of even worse, because you've not played a lot of them even. 
Yeah, no, uh, but I do think it is testament to how how well respected it is as a franchise that we have put them so highly in the list and how impactful they are, despite how the how little we have in terms of regard for them and how niche the specific area of gaming is for them. I think the fact that we've put them, you know, like 60, 70, 80 in that order just shows how how much and how well respected they are. And if, if people do like that sort of genre and it is their kind of game, I really encourage you don't just play the modern stuff like five and definitely don't play ground zeros. In fact, I'm pitching for that to go in at zero <laughs> on the list. That can sod right off to the bottom of the list, charging me 40 quid. Um, but I, I genuinely do recommend if you can get past the graphics of one, and you can, um, I mean, if you can find a PS3 or a PS2 from a time traveller uh, that still works and you can get a cheap copy of Metal Gear 2 and 3, please go and play them because they are well worth your time, even though they're not something that really appeals to us. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we didn't afford that luxury to Pac-Man and Tetris. But at the same time, I don't, I don't know if they were as influential on future games. They were influential on the game's landscape as a whole but there's not many games that have cribbed off of pac-man because you can't because there's nothing in there that you could really crib it's it's very one-dimensional so that's why we've put these higher than than we did them because some of our favorite games wouldn't exist in the form that they do without these games first whereas they probably would if tetris had never come out for example so if you're putting Ground Zeroes in at zero, then can I put Sonic Origins down there as well? Yeah, you can, yeah. <laughs> On the case of they've both ripped us off massively. <laughs> yeah. Right, let's do the Patreon shout-outs because things have changed a bit this week. <laughs> so, in the Couple of Coins tier, we've got Harry Flynn. In the Bucket Kickers tier, we've got the Sweaty Llama, and you'll be glad to know that Dino Dini has given up his... His pursuit of us, but now he's been replaced. He's been replaced by Ric Flair. (laughs) So we have have the sweaty llama and Ric Flair in the bucket (laughs) tier, and then in the uh, in the avatarish tier, we've got Atropos. So once again, thank you to you guys for supporting us. It means the world, and I hope you. I really hope you're enjoying the episodes we're putting out, especially the bonus content. We've got another one of those recorded. It is just. We're waiting for the last one to have done its time, as it were, before we put the next one out. So there will be another one on two-player games, which until I looked at it earlier on, I completely forgot we'd recorded. So that'll be a fun one for me to put together because I can't remember what we even said. But yeah, if you want to go and and find out what we did say, get yourself subscribed to our Patreon, ready for it coming out. So it's patreon.com slash bucketlistgamers. You can find a couple of exclusives already on there, one that hasn't actually gone on to Spotify, Audible, etc. yet. There'll be more coming. We are looking at potentially doing other things on our Patreon, such as polls, uh, suggestions for episodes, because believe it or not, we're getting close to the end of the 100 now. 29 episodes in, I think. We're on 29 today. And we've managed to get through... The lion's share of the games on there, I mean, there's some on there I don't know what we're going to do with, and then there are some on there that we're really excited to talk about, but we're trying to hold some good stuff back. So never fear, there is good stuff to come, and we will be looking at what we can talk about post-list. Maybe we save stuff like Hitman to do after, and we can 
talk about that kind of thing. But that's all in the pipeline. And I think that is it for today, unless you've got any other business. No, nothing from me. And I know you've not played Starfield, so I won't ask you about that. No. I I have given it a quick go, and I don't have enough time to talk about it now. So next week, when I've really sunk my teeth into it, we'll dedicate at least ten minutes at the end to Starfield. That's a, a guarantee. It'll be about two it'll be it'll have been out about a fortnight by then, so no one will care, but that's what we'll do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so with that I will say that's goodbye from me. And that's goodbye from me. 